The Vancouver Canucks find themselves in first place in the NHL, while the Pittsburgh Penguins and Anaheim Ducks, yes, the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Anaheim Ducks looking for more goal scoring. We've got all this and more on a special Christmas edition of the Locked On NHL podcast. Your Locked On NHL, your daily podcast on the National Hockey League. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome, everybody, to the Monday edition of the Locked On NHL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I want to thank everyone for making Locked On NHL your first listen every day. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so you can get new episodes as soon as they drop. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the show the uh, co-host of Locked On Canucks, Trevor Beggs, and uh, Merry Christmas, first of all, Trevor, and uh, look who's number one. Can you believe it? I cannot believe it. Merry Christmas to you, Gil. Merry Christmas to, to you tuning into this show right now. And what a Christmas gift, you know. I'm just, you know what, we're getting to the end of the year, and I'm just thinking about how far the Canucks have come, right? You look at January 1st, and, you know, the Canucks are one of the worst teams in the league. The Boudreaux rumors are swirling. And not even 12 months later, here the Canucks are, first place in the NHL standings at Christmas. It's uh, it's quite the turnaround. I mean, I was certainly bullish on this team being a playoff team heading into the season, but first place in the league, I uh, I can't say I have it on my 2023 bingo card. <laughs> so what has been the biggest difference? I mean, you're leading the league in goals scored right now, best record in the league, getting it done really in almost every facet of the game. What has been the difference between January 1st last year and Christmas Day this year? Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably two words, right? It's Rick Tockett. <laughs> and so funny how, you know, back again in January 2023, no one was really on board with the Tockett hiring, it seemed, in Vancouver or even outside of Vancouver, right? Everyone was just uh, aghast at how the Canucks treated Boudreaux and the, the whole way that whole scenario played out. But lo and behold, I think Talk has done a, a fabulous job of uh, towing the line between being you know, a bit of a hard ass, for back, lack of a better term, and being a good players coach, too. I think he lets his stars play. Um, but you can tell this team is playing with more structure. Like, you know, this team was very loosey-goosey under Boudreaux. Uh, the positive feel-good coach, uh, those positive vibes only lasted for a few months there. Um, but the team is playing with more structure. And then it's kind of been a culmination of a few things, right? Like, Thatcher Demko's back to being elite, which was kind of happening towards the tail end of last season. JT Miller looked like a different player under Tocca than he did under Boudreau. Uh, now, all of a sudden, you have these new forward additions who are gelling with the team. Uh, Lafferty, Hooglander, Mikhaev's at full health, right? So, um, And then they they overhauled the defense as well, right? I think the defense is still a, a weak spot on this team, but they're league average instead of the worst group in the NHL. So, uh, you know, when you're in first place in the NHL, it's not just one thing going right. It's definitely a number of things, and that's certainly the case for the Vancouver Canucks. Got to ask you about, Bar <clears throat> excuse me, Brock Besser. I mean, 24 goals right now. Kind of a Cy Young Award candidate, though, with only 14 assists. But uh, what has made him so dangerous this year? I think it's just he's going to the net more. And we saw this last year with Brock Besser where people were saying, obviously, people were down on his game. But you looked at his underlying profile. He was still scoring at a first-line rate. It was just it, his points were coming from playmaking more than shooting and scoring. So it was a different Brock Besser we saw. 
Uh, best results of Horde defensively last season, uh, both under Boudreaux and when Taka came in. But I think the two main things in Besser's game that have changed is that he's back to being a good defensive player. People don't really think of Brock Besser that way, but he's always been a pretty good defensive player. Uh, pretty smart in his own end, good at getting the puck up the ice. Um, and the second thing is he's just going in the net more. You look at, of those 24 goals, the majority of them have come with right, right, right within the crease. Uh, if you don't believe me, you can go check out that NHL edge data. That's some pretty neat stuff. But yeah, it's not just the, you know, when people think of Brock Besser, they think of the sniper that just comes down off the rush, uh, lets off the crazy good wrist shot. He's still doing that on occasion, but a lot of his goals are coming with from, you know, five feet of the blue paint. Thatcher Demko, you mentioned Casey DeSmith also getting the job done as the backup. In fact, his statistics in goals against average and save percentage are almost identical to Demko's. What has been, I mean, obviously you mentioned the structure defensively in front of them, but the goaltending has been very consistent this year. Yeah. And again, when you look at the Canucks kind of underlying profile, uh, they're a league average team defensively. Now they're getting outshot in a lot of games, which is cause for concern. And now we're hearing all this stuff about, oh, it's just PDO. They're just getting lucky. But if you watch the games, the Canucks really are doing a good job of limiting those high danger chances. Um, a lot of the shots are coming from the outside. There's not a lot of like grade A five alarm chances coming from the slot. I mean, there are some, um, but it's just one of the situations where the environment is easier for both Demko and DeSmith. And when sometimes when that environment crumbles, they are stepping up and making the saves, right? Which, um, again, I'm not going to say the, the dreaded R word here uh, <laughs> in terms of PDO, but um, yeah, both guys are playing phenomenally. And I think one crazy stat that I pulled and <laughs> I, I told to Smith about after the game in Minnesota earlier this month was to Smith was actually the first Canucks backup goaltender in over six years to record a shutout. It's been six years since, an, wow. uh, since the backup boys recorded a shutout in Vancouver, which is crazy. It was either Markstrom or Demko uh, as the starter for a six year stretch. So actually the last guy to do it before, DeSmith was Anders Nielsen uh, back in the fall of 2017. He did that before DeSmith even played his first NHL game. And here is DeSmith. I think he's, what, a 32-year-old 30, veteran in this league. So, yeah, just a wild season in Vancouver where yeah, lots of bizarre things like that are happening. All right. Let, let's nitpick a little bit because it's not all perfect here. What's going on with the penalty kill? Because they're 23rd in the league in that department. It's funny because we've heard it from – Rick talking the coaching staff where they keep saying the penalty kills better, um, better than the numbers, uh, better than the numbers lead you to believe. And I think that was true for a time where they were just allowing five on three goals. And, but overall, I, I, I still see a very similar penalty kill to last year. I think the main difference is that the goaltending is better. I think the Canucks had some of the worst goaltending shorthand in the league last season uh, on top of allowing all these chances. And now it's, you know, they're still allowing the chances, but the goaltending is stepping up. So, they brought in different personnel. I think there have been some positive signs with the past 10 games. JT Miller and Elias Pedersen, obviously, they've been putting up the shorthanded points. Uh, last year, I think they had like eight shorthanded points each. Uh, I think they each have a shorthanded goal this season, but neither of them have been stellar on the PK. One guy who's really looked good on the PK recently has been Teddy Bluger. So we've seen Teddy Bluger's ice time increase on the PK. He's making plays there. So I, I think they're still trying to figure it out personnel-wise. And even when you hear former NHLers talk about PK, a lot of it is there's strategy that goes into it, but a lot of it is just the personnel and can they do the job? Um, as much as Miller and Pedersen have to flash, um, they don't look like they can do the job as well as a guy like Teddy Bluger. So, uh, yeah, it's it's still a bit of an Achilles heel, but it'll, it's been trending at least in a better direction the past 10 games or so. Got to ask you about Quinn Hughes. I mean, a plus 28 right now in plus minus, second on the team 
with 44 points. What makes him so special? <laughs> I think it's his skating, right? Um, his edge work is just like something I've never seen before. And you're starting to see some other NHLers kind of mimic him a bit almost. Uh, like I see a guy like Sean Dursey. He reminds me of a lot of uh, Quinn Hughes. I see a Jordan Spence in L.A. He skates a bit like Quinn Hughes, but Quinn Hughes just has some of the best edge work I've ever seen live. And he combines that with um, just head up puck skills. And again, he's out of that shot to his arsenal. Now he's so often looking to shoot, which is just something he's never really done before. Uh, now you see Quinn Hughes walking the blue line and he's walking down the wing and getting a scoring chance, you know? So it's a different player. And the fact that he has 10 goals at Christmas, I'm not sure if I would have believed he would have had 10 goals the entire season this year. So. <laughs> <laughs> again, a sign that things are going well in Vancouver, but he's, he's done the work to get there, right? He's talked time and time again about working on a shot, that, not even just last summer, but the last couple of years. Uh, and it's finally starting to pay off from here. And yeah, I, I, I hope he's in that Norris contention or even the Norris winner at the end of the season. But uh, Kale McCarr might have something to say about that. <laughs> Possibly. So what what is the biggest key to maintaining this lead to have a strong finish and be ready for the playoffs with all guns blazing? Yeah, for me, Gil, I, I honestly think this is going to sound strange, but I actually think it's the offense. And, and I know that sounds weird because they've they lead the league in goals right now. But again, they're bottom five in shots. They're bottom half of the league in chances generated. I look at this defense right now. And I think this defense is probably playing to the max of their potential. And I, and I know Hughes and Hronick, uh were better earlier in the season. But overall, you look at behind them, Cole, Zadorov, Myers, Susie. I mean, sure, they got big guys, but you got a lot of slow guys, guys that can't move the puck that well. So I really think the defense is, is near their peak at being league average. So I do think if possible, you add another defenseman to that group. Uh, that would help things out. Um, but offensively, I just think they need to generate more. Like if if the goaltending stays where it's at, um, and I don't see any reason to believe it won't, other than the fact that goaltending is weird. But if the goaltending stays near the top of the league, the defense is average. You just need the offense to generate more chances because eventually the shooting luck is going to run out. Um, and I know the Canucks play a game where they're not necessarily trying to go quantity. They're trying to go quality, but they do need to control the puck a bit more um, and keep the puck more in the offensive zone. Um, because again, if, if that doesn't happen, I do think the regression monster, oh, I said that R word, sorry. The regression <laughs> monster is going to come and hit them at some point. All right. Well, Trevor, why don't you tell us where people can find the podcast and where they could find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on social media at Trev Beggs and the podcast, YouTube, Spotify, Apple podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts is locked on Canucks. It's uh, been a lot of fun. My co-host Kyle Bowen and I took over on March 1st and we've gone from 300 subscribers to 1.3 subscribers. So I didn't realize there were a thousand people that wanted to listen to us talk about hockey, but we're uh, we're very very grateful, especially reflecting here at Christmas. So, uh, Merry Christmas to all the uh, all the lockdown listeners. Uh, not not just myself, but Gil, all the hosts. We we love all of you for tuning in to us. All right, Trevor. Thanks. Always a pleasure, and Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, Merry Christmas. It is my pleasure to welcome back to the show the host of Locked On Penguins, Hunter Hodes, and Hunter. It's been really up and down for the Penguins. You know, one game they look great, then they lose seven to nothing uh, to the Toronto Maple Leafs or lose in overtime to the Ottawa Senators. What's going on in Pittsburgh? Why so inconsistent? It's really maddening. You know, you can, 
look really well. For example, they just beat the Carolina Hurricanes. This was the first time they had beaten them in their previous five tries. And you can have the blueprint where you're playing really well defensively. You get some goal scoring in the goaltending. But then all of that goes out the window against Ottawa. They sleepwalk through the first two periods. And let's face it, Gil, they stole a point against Sanders. They put up 23 shots in the third period against them. They were down by two goals. They get an early one in the third. They tie it with two about 2.30 remaining from Crystal Tang. It's like, okay, you stole a point, but where was this kind of effort in the first two periods? That's just the biggest thing. I don't think the Penguins are playing full 60-minute games right now. It's really costing them. And I also feel like they're going away from the blueprint. They don't have what it takes, I feel like, at this point to be a run-and-gun team like you saw in 2016-2017. When they've had their most success the year this year, excuse me, they've been playing being more stingy defensively. They've been limiting the high danger chances. They've been playing, I guess, more boring, if you want to call it in quotation marks. And they're still getting the offense, but they're also shutting teams down when they play like that. And for whatever reason, they go away from that far too often, even though you've seen the success of it with it. Excuse me. So I don't know why they've gone away from that. You have that what's going on. The power play has been awful. That's, I think, what really sunk them, a big reason why it sunk them in the early portions of the season. They had that 0 for 37 stretch. There's no excuse to be 0 for 37 in a season when you have surefire Hall of Famers on your top power play unit. That's just not acceptable, in my opinion. But when you combine all that with depth scoring that hasn't been there, I feel like that much. Ryan Graves has been a disappointment. You kind of just have what you have right now, and that's a middling team, despite the season that Sidney Crosby's having, which has been absolutely tremendous. Talk to me a little more about the power play. I mean, you have Latang, you have Carlson. Those are two great power play quarterbacks, two guys who pick up a lot of points, and yet the power play isn't gelling. W- what is the cause? You got all these Hall of Famers, you got, you know, future Hall of Famers, so much offensive talent. Why 28th in the league? I could probably spend an hour talking about this with you, to, to be honest, Gail. There, there's just so many problems with it that's been there throughout the year. First is just gaining the zone. So many times during that game against Ottawa on Saturday night, they just couldn't gain the zone when they, when the, the centers clear the puck. And they're able to get close to the blue line, and the center's like, okay, we'll just take the puck from you, and we'll clear it down. They're also dumping the puck into areas of the zone where they don't have enough puck support, and it's easy pickings for the penalty killers. When you combine all that, plus when you have a lot of perimeter play on your power play, you're not going to get anywhere. The Penguins have not had a shoot-first mentality on this unit all year, except for, honestly, a week span, which was about a week and a half ago, where the Penguins went 6-for-16 combined after they were 0-for-37. That was a good stretch. If they had been playing like that for the most of the season, they'd probably be in the playoffs right now, right now, considering how good the power play, or considering how good the, the players are on this unit but they just haven't gelled like a lot of us thought they would and because of that you see all these struggles again when you have perimeter play the no good zone entries they do this stupid drop pass to go backwards to go forwards which makes absolutely no sense i don't know why they continue to do that and when you continue to overpass in the zone you're just not getting anywhere. And they still, I think, lack that true net front presence ever since Patrick Hornquist was traded to Florida. They haven't really replaced him. But no one has had that shoot-first mentality. The movement has has not been crisp. And it's been a real struggle to watch this unit. They had six power play opportunities heading into the third period of that game against Ottawa. They only had three shots. And that's on the NHL's worst penalty kill in the league. That's not acceptable. And it's been killing the Penguins 
all year long. They have had numerous games, Gil, where the power play could have won them the game, and it hasn't just because that unit has not been up to par. And again, that's one of the biggest reasons why this team is where it is in the standings right now. If they would have had a few games where they had gotten just one or maybe even two power play goals, they'd probably have four or five more points in the standings right now, and they'd probably be in a playoff spot. So how much of that is coaching? Because we know the talent is there. Is there a problem with the way they're coaching the power play and just the general performance of the team? And is the coach a little bit on the hot seat right now? I think it's both. Both Pat and I on Locked on Penguins have called for Tar Reardon to be relieved of his duties as one of the Penguins assistant coaches and the guy who runs the power play. His system just hasn't worked for as long as he's come back to the Penguins. You can't be 28th in the league in power play percentage with Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, Jake Gensel, Eric Carlson, Chris Letang. You can go down the list for other names as well. That's that's not acceptable. But on the other hand, I don't think Todd Reardon is going out there and telling his players, oh yeah, just play along the perimeter, overpass, don't shoot. I think the Penguins always just want to look for that perfect play. They, I kind of, I've been saying this for a while. They always want to try to Harlem Globetrotter the puck in and then look for that perfect play to get onto Sports Center the next day when sometimes less is more. And I get it. These are Hall of Fame players. They are some of the best in the league, but some when your unit is struggling, you don't want to look for that extra play. Fire pucks to the net, get Bonnie's in front, and you'll be getting and the goals will come. But the Penguins just haven't done that a lot this season. So it, it, there's definitely plenty of blame for both. But honestly, right now, it, it's tough. You know, I would maybe go 60-40 in favor of the players, but you can make an argument for Todd Reardon the same way for 60-40 him. All in all, the unit is an absolute mess. And I think at some point, I mean, it should have happened right now. Reardon probably should be relieved of his duties, but this just can't continue anymore if if this team wants to get back into the race. You mentioned Jake Gensel playing very, very well. Talk to me about what's made him so successful this year. He's been fantastic ever since coming back from the offseason surgery that he had. He's such a smart hockey player. And I know people out there try to think that he's a product of Sidney Crosby. That's just the most ludicrous take I've ever heard. He plays great with any center in in the NHL. Just his hockey IQ is off the charts. He knows exactly where to be in the offensive zone. And you give him the slightest amount of time, he'll make you pay. I, I will continue to die on the hill that he's one of the five to six best pure goal scorers in the league. And he's going to be paid as such after the season. And I will say this, if this season continues to go down the drain or be up and down for the Penguins, Gill, I do think the Penguins are going to have to have a serious conversation about potentially trading Jake Gensel at the trade deadline to see if they can get a pretty big package for him. And I do think they could. Gensel, again, is one of the best goal scorers in the league. I'm not going to take pennies for him. They could try to re-sign him in the offseason if he doesn't sign with a team that acquires him. But that's just the way that this might be going right now. But any team that would get him would, I mean, that's an instant top line winger, at least second line winger, the top line winger for sure. But he really is a tremendous hockey player. You can put him on any line, top power play unit. He will do the job for you. And also just his passing work is super underrated as well. Goaltending was a big question coming into this season. And yet statistically, at least it looks pretty good. Talk to me about the state of the Penguins goaltending. Yeah, if you would have told me that the Penguins going into that game on Saturday, that they would have had 
two of the top 15 goaltenders and goal saved above expected this season, I would have laughed at you, to be honest, because you all know the question about Tristan Jari. Alex Ndelkovic hadn't played well at his previous stop in Detroit, but both goalies this season have been great. Now, Delkovic, he didn't play that well against Ottawa, but I'm not really going to blame him too much for that. I thought the Penguins just really slept, walked the first two periods of that game, but he has been everything and more for the Penguins as a backup this season. Tristan Jari, he's also been awesome. He's also been healthy. That's been one of the biggest things for Jari is his ability to not stay healthy when the Penguins need him. But with Nadelkovic playing like this, it gives Jari the rest that he really hasn't had the last couple of seasons just because with Casey DeSmith in when he was the backup, Jari was having to play a lot of nights and that just opened him up to more injuries. Now with Nadelkovic really playing well, you can rest Jari a little bit, manage his workload a little bit more too. But I really like how aggressive Jari has been this season. He's been playing really well, coming out further to challenge shooters. And also for Nadelkovic, he's not the biggest goalie, but he still uses his athletic ability to his advantage. And he's been able to make a lot of timely saves for the Penguins this season. It's really unfortunate that the Penguins are getting this level of goaltending and they are where they are in the standings because just a couple weeks ago, this team had the second best all situation save percentage in the NHL. And it's still up there right now. It's top 10 in the league, but you can't waste that kind of season from two goaltenders who you had questions about heading into the season. It, you, you just can't. And it's definitely been a big strength for this team, and I expect them to continue playing like this after the holiday break. All right. Hunter, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners where they could find the podcast and where they could find you on social media? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Hunter Hodes. The show's Twitter is at Penguins. You can follow my co-host, Patrick Damp, at Send for Wet. And you can follow the Locked on Penguins podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon Music, Sirius XM, all that good stuff. Well, the recap of the game against Ottawa on Tuesday before the showdown against your Islanders this upcoming week as well. All right. Hunter, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Yes. Appreciate it, Gil. And it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show. Long overdue. It's been too long since we've had you. Uh, the host of Locked On Anaheim Ducks, Jason J.D. Hernandez. And uh, welcome back. Thank you very much, Gil. It's good to be back and good to be back talking about Ducks hockey, at least fun Ducks, Ducks hockey. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, let, let's start with the beginning here. This team struggling a little bit to score goals, and I guess that's not a shock coming into this season. But what's, I mean, injuries are certainly a part of it, but what else has been the reason for this team's offensive struggles so far. I'm going to start with injuries because that has been a key, and it's not just number of injuries. It's been key injuries. It's been to key guys. You think about a guy like Trevor Zegras, who had been out for a while. He's finally back. We'll talk about him in a second. But I want to talk about Mason McTavish being out. McTavish was part of the best line. And he's not back, but McTavish was is part of that top line. Well, it's the second line, but top line of Vetrano, Strom, and McTavish. That line is leading the team pretty much in all metrics, and all scoring metrics. And as soon as McTavish went down, so did that line. But you got to think about, you know, Z being out. I mean, that's a pretty big loss as well. And even going further back, Isaac Lundestrom, he's been hurt for pretty much the entire season. To lose that kind of depth scoring is never good for any team. 
And the newest pickup, Alex Kalorn, he had been out for a while as well. So it's really just the types and the players, the certain players that are injured. I mean, if you if you're a team that loses half of their top six, of course you're gonna struggle. I mean, that's half your offense right there. So that's part of why they've been struggling to put the puck in the net. Another thing is a new system. You know, this is a new system they're working on. They have a new Greg or new coach in Greg Cronin, who I think has done a fairly good job considering the personnel that he has, considering what he inherited from Dallas Eakins. I mean, look, under Dallas Eakins, this team was, to put it uh, correctly, historically bad. They were very historically bad. So Cronin inherited a dumpster fire on top of the Pacific the Pacific landfill, whatever you call it now. <laughs> it's all bad. But you are seeing some progress in, in your mind offensively uh, under this new system. There is some progress, and there has been some progress made in the last couple of weeks. Now that people are coming back, we're starting to see a little bit better job on the penalty kill. We're seeing a better job on the power play as well. Penalty kill is looking better, but power play is looking slightly more organized. So that's kind of a plus. I mean, at this point of the season, it's baby step skill. It's just all little incremental things. Last season, it was more doom and gloom. Like, we knew the Ducks were going to be bad. This season, the expectations are slightly higher. But this team is more fun. And this team is getting in a lot closer games, a lot more one-goal games. So there is hope for optimism with this Ducks team. I think they're going to kind of turn it around a little bit. But it is still going to take time. I've been telling Ducks fans, patience. Be patient. They will get there. Well, one reason for more optimism, as you mentioned, Trevor Zegers back in the lineup and he scores another one of the uh, Michigan goals over the weekend. I mean, just an incredible play by him. Four or five defenders all around the net and he ends up beating them all and and, and making that move and putting it oh. uh, over the shoulder of the goaltender. I mean, he is so exciting to watch and it's great to have him back healthy and in the lineup. Oh, that's why you have me back now. Zegris said something cool. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, Zegris. First off, a little bit of background. So Z has done these kind of trick trick merchant plays several times in his career. He had the flying Z or the alley-oop in Buffalo. He had the first lacrosse. He had the lacrosse against Montreal last or a couple seasons ago. This season... He does it against someone that I'm familiar with, um, Joy Decord. Joy Decord was the number one goaltender for the team I do PA for, the Coachella Valley Firebirds. And Decord is now the number one goaltender for the Seattle Kraken. And, and to see Zegris do this against Joey Decord, at first I had mixed feelings and I was like, oh, that was nice. And oh wait, all of you blowing up my phone while I'm doing the Teddy Bear Toss game, I'm like, what the F is going on? I'm like, like, oh, that's sick. <laughs> and this after Connor Bedard oh, 
had done it earlier in the day. But the funny thing is that someone told him. Someone did tell him. He was also interviewed before the game by Allie Lozoff, the Ducks reporter. And she said, all I want for Christmas is one of those highlight goals. And he said, I'll see what I can do. And he big fat did it. <laughs> so a lot of like little background going into why he said, you know what? I'm going to try this right now. I'm going to pull it off. And he did over the shoulder of Joy Decord. I mean, it was a fantastic goal. He did it in stride, picked it up on the blade. I mean, thing of beauty. His like 11 billionth trick goal in his career. And as I've said several times on this podcast, the point is to score goals. I don't care about all 31 other teams that say, oh, he's just in it for the trick shots. No, he's in it to score. He wants to <laughs> score more goals. That's that number one point right there. They're looking, you're looking for more goals? Get it any way you can. And certainly getting it in spectacular fashion doesn't hurt every once in a while. But, okay, you, you, you mentioned earlier this team is rebuilding, that it's a little more fun so far this year than it was a year ago. What's the next step? What has to happen in the 2024 part of this season to make it a successful rest of the year for the, for the Anaheim Ducks? They need to get fully healthy. They just lost Leo Carlson. They just lost Leo Carlson for four to six weeks. So that is that is the official update, four to six weeks. The number two overall draft pick. Carlson, also part of that top six. Once he gets healthy, once Lundestrom gets healthy, then they're going to need to have better puck control, better puck movement, something that we were seeing improvements for. And now that I think... Everyone is back. Now that the full complement of the power play unit is almost all back, you have Terry, you have Jamie Drysdale is back on a power play unit, by the way. Drysdale had only played two games this season to when he, when he just came back. So now that you have that big-time quarterback on the power play, that is starting to improve little by little as well. So I think health is going to be a big thing. But learning to gel together. Don't forget, a lot of these guys have not played a whole lot together in this season at all. So, you know, Z losing time in training camp, Drysdale losing time in training camp, that hurts. So that's one of my things. Like once once they all just mesh and get used to where the other player is. And as you know, like those kind of passes are very important. And those kind of like setting up plays. Perfect passes across the Royal Road, getting pucks in towards the net, finding the perfect pass. All of those little factors are going to help the Ducks, I think, coming up this season. Hopefully, it'll help them coming up this season. I have hope. That's my Christmas wish. All right. Well, that's hopefully a realistic Christmas wish for you. Jason, why don't you tell our viewers and our listeners where they could find the podcast and where they could find you on social media? They can find the socials at StimpyJD. And the show's Twitter slash X is at LO underscore Ducks. And you can find this podcast wherever you get your podcast, free and available. And be sure to look for us there. And I'm also, you can also find me doing public address for the Firebirds at Akashur Arena every game. So all that is great well. to have you here. 
want to wish you uh, and yours yeah. a, a very and by Merry the way, Christmas. I, I, I love Merry Christmas. <laughs> I love that, you know, especially like like we matched today. Yeah, we didn't like, plan we it either. matching jackets today. How? <laughs> no, we didn't. Yes, we did. I'm kidding, folks. <laughs> All right, we, we Jason, thank didn't, you so We much. didn't really. No, we didn't coordinate. Of course, Gil. Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked On Sports Today is here for you 24-7 covering the top stories of the day with the local experts of Locked On, plus our national shows covering every league. Go to Locked On Sports Today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. I want to thank my guests, Trevor Beggs of Locked On Canucks, Hunter Hodes of Locked On Penguins and Jason Hernandez of Locked On Anaheim Ducks. I want to also wish everybody a very Merry Christmas. I'm Gil Martin. I host the Monday edition of Locked On NHL and I co-host the Friday edition along with Rachel Donner. Have a great holiday, everybody. Stay safe. And of course, thank you for listening to and watching the Locked On NHL podcast.